Hello and welcome to That Band Life. I'm Jeff Young, Director of Camps at Music for All from Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm Bobby Rambert, Director of Bands at Wando High School in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. That Band Life, a podcast about making our careers as music educators more fulfilling so we can be happier, healthier, and more productive and even more creative. Today, we, the podcast, we interview one of my dearest friends, Jarrell Horton. He's a director of bands at Vestavia Hills in Alabama. Always a treat, and while we don't necessarily have an agenda, I'm sure you're shocked by that, <laughs> you'll laugh, you'll learn, and you'll walk away inspired. Before we begin the podcast, I want to tell you about the Dynamic Marching Shop. This podcast is coming to you ad-free. One way you can support us is by visiting our website, dynamicmarching.com. Sign up for all or some of our awesome courses and instructional videos. You can also purchase products through our store at some of the most discounted prices on the web on things like shoes, rifles, podiums, megavoxes, and flagpoles. I know that many times you continue to order your products from the same people, but if you look at our prices, you might change your mind. All right, guys, let's jump into it. Jarrell Horton. Hello. Jarrell Horton. How are you, buddy? I'm doing so well. How are you guys today? Great. Great. Good to have you on. Fantastic. Jarrell is usually with us at uh, the BOA camp in the, in the summer, and he's taught the leadership weekend and... Uh, he's worked with the, the Director's Academy all week to help them get everything that they need. So welcome, Jarrell. I'm so if you want to know about if you want to know about Jarrell Horton, Google him and find a YouTube video where he spoke <laughs> at the Music for All Summer Symposium where he sang, was it Lionel Richie? Am I getting that right? Am I remembering that correctly? It's a Jarrell? Michael, it's a Michael Jackson probably Michael rock, Jackson, rock, rock with you. Rock you, yes, that's, there it is. Because that's my jam. That it was that day for sure. I remember that very well. <laughs> and just very like a well. just like a lot of us, Jarrell has some some side hustles that are pretty fun. We can talk about those at some point too. I have a lot. Oh, of, the, he has a great side. Hustle. <laughs> I have lots of side hustles because I have lots of kids, so we have to take care. <laughs> we have lots of mouths to feed. Well, now whose fault is that? I was I mean, there. I was there, so um, I, I take <laughs> full responsibility. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know Jarrell is the director of bands at Vestavia Hills and Vesta and well it's a suburb of Birmingham Alabama is that right that Jarell, is that is correct correctly? yeah that's correct all right and uh, I was looking up doing a little bit of research before the show which everyone is also equally shocked at uh, but I, I was looking up some things I saw that you went to Samford University I in Alabama I had no idea I'm a graduate of Stanford University. Go Bulldogs. Do you know who also – I was just listening to a podcast yesterday. I was driving back home. Do you know who also is a graduate of Samford University? He's on my favorite TV show of all time. No, who? Arrested Development. Uh-huh. And it's Tony Hale. Huh. Tony Hale. You know he was in Arrested Development and on Veep as well. He's won two Emmys for Veep. Uh, he is a Samford grad. I had no, I had idea. no idea. That's so great. Mm-hmm. It's a great, great little school. I loved it. It was you did, the best. You did music ed there, right? I did do music ed there, right? All right. I so, loved every minute. So, of walk it. Me, so let me let me say a little bit about what you've done, and then I want you to kind of tell us how you got there, because um, you know you you started, you went to Samford, you graduated, and you went to let me see if I say it correctly, Pizzitz Middle School. <laughs> That's right. I was at Pizzitz. 
Pizitz? Is that? Oh, see, come on. Pizitz Middle School. So you started there, which is a middle school feeder to Vestavia. Right. And then you've been at Vestavia. So you've kind of been in the same place right. for quite a number of years. I know you've done several honor bands, the BOA Honor Band of America and all that stuff. I, you've taken your band to Dublin and London, I think both. And you've done the National Concert Band Festival in Two, 11 or 13? It was 13, I believe. Yes. 13, 2013. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, we get it. You do good stuff. Yay. That's incredible. <laughs> and and, and we, we know that. But I, but I think what people are sometimes interested in is, okay, how did you how did that happen? So walk us through this. I see little Jarrell, tuba player, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. That right? is correct. That is correct. Um, tuba player, chilling. And the funny thing is, okay, so I went to Sanford University, and right across the street from Sanford University is a is a school called Homewood High School that some people may know. They're a big parade band. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, that was actually my first job. And uh, since uh, let's talk about the side hustle. I guess I've always been in the side hustle because voice was my secondary college. So uh, oh. so actually being versatile in choir and band got my foot in the band door because I taught at Homewood for three years. I taught choir and band there. So I got a lot of big band oh, experience. Wow. So I, I got to travel with them. Um, in the three years I was there, we did the Rose Parade, we did Macy's, and um, an inaugural parade, a presidential inaugural parade, like in the three years I was wow. there. So I felt wow. like I got a lot of great experience there. And uh, and you are correct. I actually interned at Pazitz Middle School when I was at Sanford. And uh, That's right. I remember this now. And the teachers there, the Winters, uh, uh, Clifford Winter, Dr. Clifford Winter was the band director of the high school, the position that I currently have, and his wife. Susie Winter was the band director of the middle school, and uh, when I interned with her, she, she said that if ever a job came open, she would give me an opportunity. So I finished my time at Homewood, and a job came open there. I went through the interview process, and I, I got the job, and I ended up working with her for uh, three years. I spent with her, which was, man, teaching middle school was great. I really thought I would do it forever. Uh, for those of you that really know me, my personality uh, <laughs> lends itself well to a middle school band room. <laughs> So uh, I really enjoyed that, but obviously God had other plans for me, and I ended up being a high school band director. Uh, but it was really my association with the Winters through my internship, and then I became a member of their staff. And then when Dr. Winter retired from the high school, he came over to the middle school, and he was like, hey, I think you should apply for this job. And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> but here I am, and that's been since 2006. So I've been I've been in this position for, for a long time. It's funny wow. people talk about middle school or high school. Some people talk about if they got chosen to teach middle school, it'd be like a punishment. Right? Oh, it's not. Other people that were born to do it. So you just never know. Yeah, I loved it. I guess I just like kids in general, but there was something about the middle school classroom that I found just really interesting. And it was a comfortable place for me. So tell us about, like, that's great that you were there, but I want to know about. Little tuba player, Jarrell, <laughs> in some in some high school band somewhere. Like, why did you decide I want to I want to do music? Maybe it was in the choir room. Maybe oh, that's where you were first. You know, it's funny when uh, I, I'm I'm a um, I have six, six other siblings. I'm number seven. I'm the baby, and um, my parents. Uh, when I got interested in music and I wanted to join band, obviously, you know, my parents had a lot of financial responsibility and they were just like, we can't afford an instrument. Uh, but my mom promised me that if I would take a piano lesson for a whole year, 
And if I would be committed, then they would buy an instrument. And the most awesome thing happened. So there was this lady who taught, um, she was our choir uh, teacher at church. She was our minister of music. And uh, she lived about 45 minutes away from our, our community. And uh, she said, I'll teach you piano, but we can't, it's not going to be very convenient for your parents to drive. So I'll come to, to choir rehearsal on Saturdays. And then you come with me to my home and I'll teach you your piano lesson. And then I'll just bring you back to church on Sundays. So I did that for a few years. It was really great. Um, that's really so how you stayed the night. I did. You the night? I did. She let me stay at her house. You know, she would teach me my piano lesson. Then I would stay at her house and she'd bring me back to church the next day. And, uh, and my parents could see once I started playing the piano, I was like, oh, wow, this is this is great. I loved it. Uh, and I, I have to throw this in, too, because it's funny for people to know. She also figured out that my ear was pretty good. So she taught me how to play a lot of like black gospel music in the tradition of just teaching me basic theory. So she taught me how, right. how chords kind of progress and things like that so that I could just listen to people sing and, and learn how to accompany them. So that was a lot of my training, too. So after that year was up, I started playing trombone first. I don't know if we if I ever told you that, but I was a trombone player first. No. <laughs> I was a trombone <laughs> player first. And um and after that first year of playing trombone, uh that my dad got from a pawn shop, it was a king trombone. I'll never forget it. Every time I tried to take the mouthpiece out, the whole inner inner tube would come out. So he gave me a pair of pliers to keep in my case so that I could hold on to the very top of the inner tube to take my mouthpiece out. So I wouldn't be embarrassed every day. Um, yeah. So, and then after that year was over, uh, my band was very small. My high school was very small. There was only 42 people in my graduating class. And, uh, and uh, there's this really cool guy who played the tuba and he was older and I was like, I want to hang out with that dude. So that's how, I, <laughs> that's how I ended up playing the tuba. But it was the best instrument for me. Like once I made that switch, then things really took off. Of me musically. Yeah. So, so talk to me about, so you're, you're in Alabama. You're, you're like, what, probably by then 17, 18 years old. Mm -hmm. and, and you've decided I want to be a musician, band director, like what? What did you decide at that Worship point? leader. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was doing it all at that point in time. But, you know, I think it. I, I think what I do in a band room every day is a coming together of all of those things. But I will say my it was really my experiences in honor bands that made me want to be a band director. So I just remember, yeah. um, matter of fact, the reason why I ended up at Sanford was because the Sanford band director at the time we met in an honor band. And uh, I, I was basically recruited. So he was like, hey, this this kid's a, a decent tuba player. We need tuba players. Why don't you consider coming to Sanford? And after the honor band was over, he actually came out to my community and talked to my band director and, you know, came in. I mean, just like I guess football coaches do, you know, he, he came out to the school and said, you should consider coming here. And uh, and that's how I ended up at Sanford. Um, but I, I think being a, being a band director is a place where all those things come together. Because I think music just does that in general, um, which, Bobby, we were talking before. I think honor bands are, of course, it is a place for, you know, all these stellar musicians to come together. But a lot of those stellar musicians don't come from very large programs. Some of them come from right. really small rural programs where um, I, I used to joke about this all the time. But when I was in high school, we played Kentucky 1800 two years in a row for assessment. And I played the second time from memory. So, you know, I, I was only playing like, you know, grade three music, grade four music, you know, right. and then I would go out to honor bands and get like this experience of playing like higher level literature. And I, I think that's another reason why I'm, I'm passionate about those, those, uh, 
honor band experiences because for some kids, it is the it, it is like a pinnacle experience. And, and I know some people are like, oh, it's just an honor band. But for some kids, it's a pinnacle music moment to just sit with people that you've never met before, learn this high level of literature in a short period of time, and just be in those moments together. I I crave, even now that I sit with the same students every day, I still crave those moments where we could just have those ephemeral uh, moments of music making that just last in that moment. Oh, wow. That's really cool. It's, it's very cool that you say that. We did a podcast two, two episodes ago about um, professional development for people who hate professional development. And uh-huh. one of them was going and watching really good honor band conductors do this. Now, I just I would say I, I'm right there with you. And I think, Jarrell, the majority of students who come to the, those honor bands are from smaller programs. Oh, yeah. I can remember the first time I ever saw a bassoon <laughs> was at WCU Honor Band. And I was like, did that kid make that? Like, did he whittle that himself? Like, that's that's where I was from, and I thought it was incredible. And that's when when we choose honor, you know, sometimes when people choose honor band directors, they're like, oh, well, let's get this big name or get the No. Right, right. No. Like, right. sometimes that works. But you really want to make sure that, peop- that this honor band conductor can relate and create. It right. has to be both. I agree. It, it can't just be we one, hear that a lot. one or the other. We hear that a lot at the summer symposium too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, students will get to perform with Carolina Crown, and right, you know, it's like they've never heard anything like that from a volume right. standpoint or an excellence standpoint. Right, right, and, and and I think those moments kind of burn into your brain. Like when you were asking me before, you know, and I told you, you know, going to honor bands or they they were those experiences that really kind of guided me towards making my career choice. But uh, I remember distinctly, I made Allstate uh, one year and David Holsinger was our conductor. And um, and I just remember the whole process. And we played some of his music. And if you don't know him, he's a really great storyteller, too. So as we were going through this whole rehearsal process, he was telling all these really great stories about the decisions that he had made musically and how I could I could hear it happening in the music. I could see the people around me respond and react. And then I thought to myself, this is really what I want to do. I want to be in these moments with people connecting in this way. And I guess that's how I really made my choices by having moments like that. Wow. So, you know, this is a question I was going to say for a little bit later, but we're kind of in this realm right now. Mm-hmm. What makes – when I've, I've seen you do uh, very young and experienced honor bands, and I've seen you do some very fine, well-trained. I, I don't I, – I, both are good. It's just – as you know, when you plan for these honor bands, you, you have to do it differently. If yeah. I'm doing a young band that's maybe not an all-state band, I need to plan a certain way. If right. I'm doing a young band that's an all-state band, I need to plan this way. Right. If I'm doing a, a 9 through 12 group, I need to plan this way. If I'm do- Tell me, when you start thinking about that, what what to you defines – Like, first of all, tell me how you how you plan for it and then what makes it a successful honor band. Well, I, I, think, uh, I think whenever I'm speaking with whoever's coordinating those groups, we always have conversations about what's been done before, you know, uh, understanding the personality of what the group has been. And, it, and it's always different kids every year, but let's be honest, like band kids are band kids. So that group kind of develops a personality too. So just getting to understand what the personality of the group is like, uh, understanding the kind of literature that they're able to to do at a high level, I think is really important. I think for any honor band conductor, the literature is probably the most important thing. And then secondary to that is your approach to 
to the learning, like your your pedagogical choices and, and how you're going to develop uh, or or how you're going to deliver a fire hose worth of information in like a short period of time. Um, yeah, so I think those things kind of go hand in hand, just having those conversations and understand the personality of the group. Where are these kids from? What are their bands like, you know? Um, the other thing I, I always think about too is I don't walk into that room thinking, oh, you know, they've asked me to do this clinic. You know, I'm so smart. Da, 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 da. No, what I walk into that clinic thinking to myself is today I can give them a different perspective, you know, because every person is different. Everybody thinks about music different. And all I'm going to do today is just to give you another way to think about it. And if it works, hopefully we'll have a really great musical moment when we can agree. Communication is two different people agreeing on the same thing. So, you know, it, that, that, that definition of communication, it helps me a lot because I think musically it has to be as well. The, the communication that comes from the conductor, from a musician, we have to agree on that information in order for anything to be understood. So for there to be any clarity and depth of emotion in music, there has to be an agreement on, on what we're actually trying to emote or what we're trying to communicate. So it sounds like you're saying that the the... Um, what makes it successful is that there's a connection that's made oh, between for sure. conductor, ensemble, and ensemble and literature. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, because my favorite, my favorite thing after um, an honor band is over is when the kids are like, can we keep this music? I want to keep this music forever. This was like the most fun music. Yeah, I love when they say that because sometimes it's just the right combination of things that makes that that music special. It's not that, you know, it's one thing that they love more than others, but um, you and I've had this conversation before, but Mr. Keeney, Mr. Mr. Jim Keeney told me a good concert, a good concert is like a very fine meal. So every concert that I plan, even when I'm planning for my own ensembles, I think, what kind of appetizer am I trying to put together? What kind of palate cleanser am I trying to put together? Uh, now it's time for an entree. And then what kind of dessert am I going to have? You know, So those are the, the types of things I take into consideration too when I'm planning for it. How can I get to that point when I can have a connection with the kid through the literature too is just taking them through uh, a really fine meal, so to speak. Uh, well, that that's awesome. I didn't plan on going right to the honor band stuff, but you're so good at it. And for anybody out there, if you're looking for an honor band for anyone breathing, like you're saying, well, I don't know if he does seventh grade. Yep, he yep. does. He's pretty incredible. Uh, well, I, I don't know if he can do our top ensemble. Yep, he can. I don't know about that. Uh, we're, 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 plugging, we're plugging you away. Oh, and but I, I'm not, not only am I a, um, uh, um, um, not only am I, uh, you know, with us. I was trying to do the hair. You remember the old hair commercials? Not only am I a client, I'm a member. Oh, or yeah, whatever. A hair club hair for men. I mean, a hair club for men. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Not only have I, do I believe in Jarrell Horton as a clinician, I've hired the guy. Oh, that's true. Uh, Very true. Multiple, multiple times, and have tried to hire him more, <laughs> and he turns me down. Do you know how freaked out I am yeah. when I come into your band room? I'm just like, oh my gosh, take a deep breath. Yeah, and all the kids are like, please, please. <laughs> okay, so so let let's move on. I'm I'm so glad we got to talk about that because I think for anybody we we're just kind of wrapping up honor band season, and for any of you out there that are in charge of those things, that that idea of creating and relating, I think, is so important. And just you know, it, it's one thing to get the, the the boldest, bravest, the the most newest person out there. I think that that that's fine. 
but there's also something to be said of like, hey, we want to get somebody who really gets our kids fired. Oh up. yeah, for we sure. want them to. We want them to go back into their band room on Monday. Like, okay, now I want to practice. Right. Now I want to be a band director. Now I want to be a musician, and I, I think that's. And I think you do that really, really well because of those connections that you create. So that's really awesome. Well, thank you. So I'm going to change. I'm going to change gears just for a second. We'll talk about leadership later because I love the way that you approach leadership and you have a very healthy program at your school and you also teach it out and about. But I wanted to see like, you know, look, how many how many years have you been teaching, Jarrell? So this is this is year twenty three. Okay, you're 23, and uh, usually this is the time when you say, black don't crack, y'all. So. <laughs> I actually start every introduction when I stand in front of people, when I tell, tell them a little bit about myself, and I say, this is year 23, I know I look young, but black don't crack, you know. <laughs> See, I, I know your stick now, I know your stick. You do. He really does look half that age. <laughs> I know it, it, it makes me so freaking sick. I have, a lot, of, so I have a lot of salt and pepper in my beard, though. I have no hair, so I know there's a podcast. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. No my, hair club for men has yeah, been no, uh, joined. My hair broke up with me at age 21. We broke up. <laughs> we got a people divorce. Are Googling hair club for men. Right. right <laughs> I, I think it still exists, but uh, people are Googling that, which is sad. Um, hey, so let, I, wanted, I wanted to ask you about being a band director. Like, people will talk to me about. Because I was a band director in uh, the Midwest for a while, and mm-hmm. now I'm a band director in the South. And so people ask me pretty quickly, like, what what were the differences that you noticed in the two geographic areas? And I've, I've seen a little bit. Yeah. And and you may be able to speak to that, too. My, my real question was going to be, what's the biggest change in the profession now oh. versus when you entered? Interesting. Uh, that is a great question. But, and, and, and I have to honestly say, I've had such a uh, reflective journey because when I, when I came into the profession, number one, I never thought I'd be having conversations with you guys about teaching. Like I always thought I would just, because I grew up in that kind of environment. My, my teacher was really great, but she was, she was kind of insulated in what we were doing, you know? Um, so I never thought I'd have the opportunity to, to like, you know, advocate for the profession on this platform. So I think I began my career, and, and I hate to make it this deep, but I should. It's really important for me to say, as an African-American male, I never saw myself doing what I'm doing now. So the vision changed for me throughout the profession as I got to know other people, as I got to kind of break out of my shell. And I know you and I talk about Cecilia a lot, but Cecilia was a part of that just encouraging me to meet people and not to be afraid to ask questions. Uh, I will I will say one thing I have noticed over the course of time is I, I think that uh, as music educators, we become way more helpful to each other than I noticed at the mm. beginning of my career. Mm. I, I felt like sometimes people at the beginning, and it could have just been my, my uh, perspective of being a young teacher, but I always felt like people were holding their secrets to themselves and they didn't want to, yeah. they, 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 they didn't want to share with anybody else. But I think over the course of time now, I have so many colleagues like you, Bobby and Kim, I was just talking about to you earlier that uh, we talk often, we share things with one another. Uh, and then even in my local community, I just think people have just become a little bit more helpful to each other, which, you know, plays into my whole concept of how leadership works is that we're all Lego pieces, you know, and once we put, put those pieces together, that's how we become better versions of ourselves. So if I had to notice anything, I think that people have just be- become helpful within the profession to each other than maybe they were when I first started. 
Wow. When did, when did you start, Gerald, when did you first put yourself out there nationally or do something that gave you exposure nationally? Because obviously I know you through, uh, you know, the summer symposium, which is a mm -hmm. national camp where lots of people come in from all over the place. And I know you from the Rose Parade honor band and, and some things like that. But like so, so many people just are kind of isolated in their own area. Mm -hmm. What what made you branch out and go, I want to meet and talk to and learn from people from Indiana and from South Carolina and from Georgia and all, you know? I joke about this all the time. And uh, if Alfred Watkins listens to this podcast, he'll, he'll laugh too because uh, I, he, there's no way he does. There's no way he does. He, might, be he might be surprised. We, we have 12 listeners. That's fine. But I, I just remember uh, the very first time I, I went to Midwest and I saw him, I had a panic attack because <laughs> I, I wanted to talk to him so bad, but I was so nervous. Uh, but really, it was going to the summer symposium. So for our first, I went as a director and I got to meet all these people from across the country. And I thought, oh, wow, this is, I found my tribe. Like I found my village of people that I didn't, need to feel so isolated. And then, honestly, and this is the part that I think some people miss, because I've had people ask me before a question like this, you know, how do you get into doing this and doing all that? I'm not afraid to be a servant. I don't mind helping in any way, make our profession move forward, uh, because I'm eager to learn too. Even now, after 23 years of teaching, I still think to myself, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and learn from as many people as possible. But not being afraid to help has been like the biggest thing that put me out there because I started to meet people. I'll never forget one time I had to take Frank Tequila to the airport and we had a whole conversation about the the worldlies and angels and architecture and like just making those connections. Uh, I think just made me a little bit more comfortable um, because honestly, I mentioned before as an African-American in this profession, I, I felt a little shy and I didn't want people to take me the wrong way. I'm very jovial. And I think sometimes people confuse uh, a jovial personality with a lack of intelligence. So I was afraid that people would think that I'm not very smart because I like to laugh. Uh, but just being around more people, putting myself out there in a servant type way, just being able to to say, I'll help in the background, just gave me a little bit more confidence to speak up every now and then and get to meet people. And then I felt way more comfortable saying, oh, yes, I'll, I'll apply for this or I'll do that. Or uh, when people would call me for a clinic outside of my area, then I'll I take a deep breath and go, this is a good opportunity for me to test my pedagogy, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, mm. that's great. Jarrell, I never have thought about that before. I mean, I've known you, gosh, uh, at least tw since 2013. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I've known you at least since then. Uh, and, and I'd never thought about that. I, now, I knew that you, you know, putting yourself out there, being a servant, uh, like I, I, that is that is who you are. That is your personality to a T. Uh, and it's his whole family. Our, our families have hung out together oh, before yeah. and and uh, love each other. Quite, they, it was kind of love at first sight, basically. But all that said, I, I didn't quite think about the pressures that you might feel mm -hmm. being an African-American and, and in a small group of African-American band directors in the profession. I didn't I didn't quite put that together. Well, that's you know, that's that's the privilege, of, I'm sure, mm -hmm. talking right there. Mm -hmm. I didn't quite put that together as an as, as an added layer to what what was going on. Do you think it's still the like if you were if you were jovial, then that meant that you weren't quite as intelligent or whatever? Because I think everybody sort of feels that. Yeah. But that that's a whole other layer to it. Yeah. I hadn't and, thought about. And it. and I think I think that 
And and like I said before, I, I am willing to admit it may have been a construct of my own mind because I feel like now band directors are, most of them are just so much more helpful now than I felt like before. So maybe that wall has, and it, it may have never been there. It may have just been me just being so insecure in my own self that uh, not every band director has to be exactly the same. It's like, it's what we talked to about student leadership. It, not all of you have to be exactly the same. You just need to be effective doing what you're doing, doing it as the, the most That's authentic like, way you can. Like the, no, I, the imposter I, syndrome oh, that people yeah. talk about, but then with the added layer of yeah. being a minority mm -hmm. and having that imposter syndrome. Right. I mean, I, right. I agree I think with we've that. we've all felt Jarell, versions of, of that. Yeah. I'm sorry, Jeff. Um, that makes me think back to Illinois, actually. And mm -hmm. this, is, this is an interesting – I say that intentionally because you would almost have thought this story came about here in South Carolina, but it was in Illinois. Now, what people don't understand is it's not like the entire north is completely integrated with all, <laughs> all kinds of different people. It is not. Right. The, the, the higher concentrations of all peoples, but it, you still have area, rural areas. And I will never forget a a if I said the name of the school, people would know it. It was it was not a BOA band, uh, but it it was one that people would know. Uh -huh. um, and I can remember being at an honor band, and, and I believe it was Rodney Dorsey doing that. Mm -hmm. And and one of the one of the band directors said, my flute player came up to me and said, "There's an African American man doing our band." <laughs> and it, now this story can go a lot of different ways at this point. Yeah, you yeah. know it. But the truth of it is, some some people um, some people go through a significant part of their schooling without having exactly. diversity in their yeah. teaching in their teaching staff, uh, and not not yeah, just exactly and not right. and not just African American, but you know, uh, I was really fortunate, and I, I I was really fortunate growing up. I had a male fourth grade teacher, which in mm -hmm. a lot of elementary schools, the teachers, the male teachers usually teach like PE, but they never teach like. You know, uh, but I had a male fourth grade teacher, which I thought was really awesome. Now that I both look back son, on both my sons had that too, and I really appreciated that yeah. when they were in, in elementary school. Yeah, it just gives a different perspective. And, and 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 what you just said, Bobby, is so great because uh I feel like a lot of times I'm in a position to help people agree on the communication, <laughs> you know. Because yeah. I, I can put myself in a position sometimes where if people haven't had the opportunity to work with somebody who has a diverse background, then I could be a bridge. We can talk about it when, when, when people are comfortable enough to talk about it. And uh, because what we're all trying to do the same thing, uh, some people have different ways of getting there. And I think having a little, right. uh, having a different perspective just really opens up your mind to the learning. Well, I think it's so cool because the, the young lady was, she was not offensive yeah. at this or, nor was she offended. She just like, it was something she just genuinely had not, thought about before right i i have to tell you i remember the first female band director i ever saw was way into college uh -huh. and i remember being like huh oh. <laughs> i just i just like I, I please i think if people know me they know i'm very open to other people and i i mean laney radicky is a way better band director than me and so <laughs> I, I work for her uh, let's be serious everybody who knows us knows she's a good one there <laughs> 
Right, but I think that like I just remember sitting in there, and it was a she was at Hendersonville High School. Fran Shelton, uh-huh. fantastic band director. I heard her band at concert festival, like sophomore junior year of college, and I was like, "What? How is this happening? Right. This is like she's incredible." And and I, it just had not. And I wanted to know that. I wanted to know more about those things. So right. I think that the majority of people want they they just don't know. Yeah, that's true. And, yeah, so that, I think that's 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 really cool. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep on going with with my list here. Okay, uh, you talked about you talked about things that have changed uh, uh, from when we you know when you entered the profession uh, to when it is now. So here's my next question: What would you like to see change next? <laughs> oh man, that's yeah, a... I'm 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 running them deep today, Jerome. You, you I, are running them deep today. I had a lot of time in the car these past couple of days, so, so I of, really thought. Instead of talking about the profession, can I make it? Can I make it personal? Sure. sure. I, okay. I think I think what I have started to say to myself is to understand exactly why I stepped into a classroom, because that is the lesson that will be taken away from the classroom a lot. And I, I think I may have mentioned this to you before, but my constant conversation with the parents that I teach is that I know that all of my students will not be professional musicians, but they will be professional people. So everything that happens in this experience is to carry over into what they're going to do professionally. And I think it's helped me to navigate the classroom, especially sometimes when opportunities don't come or when I don't get the same opportunities that other people get to do things. Uh, and, And I think it's easy sometimes to get caught up on how visual your program can be outside of your area. When the bottom line is the kids that come into that room every day, that's your goal line. Like that's the, they, they are the most important people in the whole process of the learning. And I really want to keep my focus on making sure that if anything, they're going to have a really great experience. Um, so that's, and, and this is year 23 talking. So it's like, and I, I mean, obviously I haven't, I haven't played a Midwest and I haven't, I haven't won a BOA championship, but we're we're striving every day to do great things and uh, you know, being okay if those opportunities never come because what speaks about what happens in this band room is that people leave this band better than they came in and that they've had really great musical moments, but they've also learned how to how to be professional or how they uh, or that they've learned how to, to work through things that were difficult or how to understand their own motivation. Those are the things that I think that we have got to in our profession understand that part of our job is to make them uh, help them to understand if they're better people, then we don't have to worry about you practicing your history. We don't have to worry about you showing up for your dot. We don't have to worry about all those things. If we, if we also incorporate, how can we help you be a decent human being? You know, it's, it keeps me encouraged to, to stay in the classroom a long time. I think I said this on a previous podcast, but like, I don't really care if my cardiologist can play trumpet, Mm -hmm. but I want them to have been in band, you know, like, (laughs) you know, we, we want them to have experienced what, what you're talking about and just getting better as a person around the people who are, who are just feeling that same way. And, you know, I, I don't play my trumpet anymore. And uh-huh. Both of my kids were way into high school band and a great trumpet and sax player. They don't play right now. Right. That's okay. But they learned a lot along the way. You're exactly right. And, and I'm about to blow your mind because one of my constant illustrations, when I'm talking to my students about performing, 
is, you know, say you're say you're a heart surgeon and your patient is laid there with their chest cavity open for you to do the work that you have to do. Doesn't matter how you feel that day. Doesn't matter anything else that's going on. Your job is to perform in that moment and do it to the best of your ability. Why? Because there's a family waiting in the room in the room out there. Yeah. You know, so there's so yeah. much pressure for you to perform. And a lot of us, let's be honest, we have learned that in the band room. Sometimes we don't learn that when we're taking a, a English or uh, when we're taking a math quiz or you know working on the English paper. We feel that when there's a person on the left and right of us depending on us to do our job to the best of our ability. I feel, I feel really strongly oh, about that, sure. you know, cause there's some, I mean, let's be honest. We all have them. There's some kids who sit in our band room who don't have the same musical ability as a person on the left and right, but if they have good motivation, they're going to be productive in that environment. And that's, I think it's important to build a kid up in that way is that you don't have to be the best. You just have to be reliable because if you're reliable, yeah. it, everything's going to be better. Mm. You don't have to be the best. You have to be reliable. Oh, yeah. That's really that. that I'm, I'm just thinking about how many things that applies to. Oh, I, I, a lot of things. <laughs> Parenting. I mean, I mentioned it before. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad of four. I have four children. And if I spent my time wondering about the, the quality of my parenting, <laughs> it will probably distract me from parenting. So I just have to be I, I have yeah. to be reliable. There has to be wipes in the bag. There has to be apple juice. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just got to be reliable. So that leads us into, you know, you're one of the really killer things that I've seen you do, too, is talk to students about leadership. Mm -hmm. And you you bring a very human element to the leadership role uh, on the the band level, which I think sometimes I I have a hard time. I'm like. We've got to get this done. We've got to make this. You've got to do this. And you kind of, you always come along and are like, and there are kids involved. <laughs> and there are people, yep. there are humans. Yep. And right. so, so here it is. Talk to us about, you know, let, we're coming up on the time where it's, we begin choosing leaders for next year and setting kids up for that role. What, what do you do right now between now and say June? Uh-huh to define your leadership roles? How do you choose students? What are the most important things you look for? Uh, it's, I'm so glad you asked me that question because I'm actually in a little bit of a rebound right now. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's post-COVID. Uh, and, and I know some people have come out of COVID like unscathed. They're just able to go on. And um, things for us are a little bit different. And I, want, I really want to keep my students involved in this process. So um, I was... Um, I can't remember, uh, I was reading a book or something, but the whole con- concept of a thermostat and um, a-, a thermometer came up, you know, and I think people have made this correlation before, like thermostats regulate temperature and, and thermometers only tell you what the temperature is. So I'm going to have a collection of meetings that I'm going to open to any student who wants to come into leadership, and I'm just calling it the thermostat. And it's an opportunity for us to decide mm. how we together will manage the culture of our program going forward. To acknowledge that, you know, there's some there's some things that have changed. Like I, I do feel like students struggle with their motivation, not individually, but collectively. And I think that has a lot to do with how COVID kind of took students during a very egocentric part of their development. And we made them more egocentric because everything was about them. You do your assignment on your timeline. You sit in front of a computer all by yourself. 
you know, if you need more time, we'll give you more time. Like, you know, I think there were things about that whole time that has impacted our students in a way that now we have to teach them how to see the world again, because for a, a, for a very important time of their development, it was very uh, blinders up. Everybody was to themselves. And now that we've kind of opened things back up again, they have to see the person on their left and right and be concerned about those people in order for all of us to, to progress together. So that's my goal right now. Is to, I have some meetings set up. Anybody can come. And we're just going to understand the climate of our program and how we want to regulate that going forward. Because I think it's important. Wow. And I think it's important for them to have a say-so in it. Like, I tell them, and I tell them real sassy, when I marched my dot, I marched it real well. When I played my horn, I played it very well. But I'm not you, and you're not me. So let's agree on how we can get there together. There are going to be some non-negotiables. There are going to be things that I have to decide that this is what's going to happen. But I feel like there is room to, to hear their voice and to allow that voice to guide maybe some of those conversations because I, I think we're at a period in time where it's going to be important for them to have a voice in what, what happens going forward. I really appreciate hearing what you're saying about the, the blinders and the egocentric nature of that time. You know, for me in the classroom, the, the zoom year wasn't, wasn't that bad, but when, when we came back and yeah. everyone was masked for a whole year oh, yeah, and we, we only had students half the time each day, yeah, or we half the students each day. Yeah. So no one spoke, even though they were present, they uh, all had the mask on and they could hide behind that. We had a similar they, situation. It, that was really frustrating. Mm -hmm. It was. And even, even, and I know for all of us, the band room is like a, um, I believe philosophically before school or before rehearsals, after rehearsals, the band room is a very social place. Once the school day starts, it's a place for music making. But even other periods in, in, in time, it is a social hub. And I saw some of that start to decrease yeah. too because everybody was masked and people just didn't talk to each other. So that's a part of our thermostat conversation too is like we, we understand what the temperature is right now. But now if we want to regulate it or if we want to move it, then we have to do some things strategically to make that happen. And uh, I, I mean, I would love to say I'm the best at it. My heart is telling me that's the right thing to do. Um, uh, and it's funny, Bobby, uh, the whole student element. Uh, I, have a, I have an intern right now. And he asked me specifically, why do you why do you put up with that kid that doesn't have his music every day? And I told him I'm always in the long psychology game. Because yeah. that means that the learning has lasted. Like, you know, I may have to put up with that for a period of time. But after that period is over and that person has changed the behavior, then that learning is long lasting. It didn't just happen for a moment. We don't just chunk that information or that behavior for a short period of time. Like, I want that behavior to change for a long period of time. So I think this might be another way for me not to, quote unquote, chunk that kind of behavior or the culture of the program. I'd like for that culture to permeate and be able to allow the next, you know, 15 years, or, or I shouldn't go that far. I should probably say maybe the next four or five years to be different than they are. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, I, I think the message that I hear that I hope that our listeners are getting is there is no right way no. to, to do any of this, but especially your student leadership program. What, what worked for us at Marian Catholic does not work for us at Wando mm -hmm. and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And what works there are definitely Catholic. some wrong ways though. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> true that. True that. Um, I, I think the only wrong way is no way. Right. Uh, right. The, the only wrong way. 
Now you can do some things poorly, right? For sure, right? Um, you know, I'm I'm going to get, and it, it, it's always an extreme. I'm going to give one kid absolute power, right? Or I'm going to give no kid any say, right? Right. And I think that when you go to those extremes, that's what it is. So the idea of uh, customizing mm-hmm. and and creating and having your students involved in that process, I think is in, is huge. I guarantee you, had you left that alone, there would be kids who would have quit yeah. because they would have felt frustration. Right. They didn't feel heard. They they weren't growing the way they wanted to grow. And, and so they're going to be frustrated. You know, we have all those kids that – I have kids that will probably never make it into the top two bands. Uh-huh. Yet they're they're vital members of our group right. because of of what they bring to the table. Right. But they they need to be heard mm-hmm. and they they need to know that they're growing, if not musically, personally. Right. So I just I love the fact that you're saying, hey, what we're doing isn't working. Right. And and for all of us, like if if the three of us are saying, hey, the leadership stuff sometimes doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You got to go back to the drawing board and try something else. Right. It's just like with a piece of music. How many times have we programmed something and said, "Oh, just just hand that right back in, right. <laughs> pass that over to your left, yeah. uh-huh. pass that back over to your left, and uh, we'll 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 try something else." As opposed to the people that were like, "By gosh, we're going to play this piece because I played it in an honor band. Speaking of honor bands, right, uh, twenty years ago, and it changed my life. Right. Well, that's great for you." Right. But that may not be where where the kids are and what worked in your – here's the thing that I see from a lot of band directors. They default back to their high school. Oh, yeah, for sure. No, Interesting. Yeah, no matter what their college experience or no matter what their, their professional experience, I've seen many directors just default back to what they remember. It's kind of like this, this sort of uh, returning to this infant stage of your musical development. And it's so easily done, and it, it, it creeps in on you. I've caught myself doing it a couple of mm-hmm, times. Mm-hmm. Like, wait a second. Right. This was terrible when I was sitting in it. Why right. would I do it again? Oh, gosh, Bobby. I, I love the fact that you're There are two things you said that I, that I want to hit on. Um, I'm going to go backwards. So the last thing that you just talked about is one thing that I, in my, as I'm older now, that I have been more vocal about once I start a year with students is to – acknowledge things that have become commonplace in my life that aren't commonplace in their life. So for instance, one, one crazy thing is like speaking while adults are talking. I just grew up in a time where that didn't happen. And sometimes I get annoyed when uh, there, it, it appears as disrespect, but today's cultural society is just different than, than the way we grow, we grew up. So I've gotten to the point where I try to acknowledge that before it becomes a problem. Uh, if I, if I, if I happen to react in a way that, that, puts a negative thought into a, a student's mind because they don't know my cultural experience. You know what I'm saying? So that's, that's one thing that I hear you saying too, is that even when we think back to what happened with us in high school, um, there are sometimes reasons why those things happen. And some of them were good reasons. Some of them were bad reasons, but you know, being able to acknowledge that I think helps the student to agree on the communication. And then, and then the other thing you said, I think is really important that I really want people to hear is that you said that there are going to be students in your program who may not ever reach those top two ensembles, but they are valid and they bring important things to the table. This is what more of our world needs to hear, is that there are people on the left and right of you who may not necessarily possess the same level of skill that you do at a certain thing, but it doesn't devalue them just because they can't do what you do. They were never meant to do what you do. 
They have other things that they are really good at that they can be productive and effective. And I, that's that's the shift of our leadership team at our, at our school is that you may not be the best marcher. You may not be the best uh, player, but you have really great organizational skills. Let's find something for you to do where you can organize or even down a simple encouragement. There's, uh, I remember a couple years ago, there was this one kid who was just really good, could encourage anybody. And I thought to myself, that, that kind of ability should be highlighted because it is a it is a gift or talent that not everybody possesses, but it's necessary for our leadership team. So I think those are ways to, and, and just thinking about leadership for your program, is that, yes, music is the vehicle that we use to display this talent, but let's just be real, 20 minutes of a performance does not really show what seven days a week or six days a week or five days a week however many hours you spend a week rehearsing, it doesn't really reflect in all that because there's so many other things. What about those kids that always make sure the speakers are plugged in or what those kids that put the yard markers out or, you know, those kids that do all those things when you're in a performance, nobody knows that those things have happened, but those kids should be celebrated just as much as we celebrate the kid with the solo. That's exactly right. We actually started a, a an award uh, at our end of the year banquet. We had, you know, outstanding musician, outstanding jazz, all this. But we we created the director's leadership award for those kids that probably are not going to ever even make all state. Oh yeah. But the band, the bands, and I, I can remember the name the name of the kid. We built it like six years ago. It's a kid named Tucker, mm-hmm. and uh, Tucker was a tuba player. And every time we had to go somewhere, Tucker was on the truck loading. Yeah, yeah. And not only would he load his tubas, he loaded everything. Yeah. And he never said a word. Yep. He never, never, like the only way I I just happened to notice him one time and I checked a couple, and and there it was. And we knew we had gotten the right award winner because we, we, we talked about him and like people were still like, who are we talking about? Yeah. They had no idea. Yeah. And when we said his name, they all went nuts because yeah. they were like, yeah, this Tucker's great. He's, right. he's awesome. Right. So I think that, you know, celebrating, acknowledging and, and well, first of all, it's being aware. It's being aware. That's right. Yeah. Be aware of those kids. Yeah. And then and then acknowledge them and then celebrate them right. for, for who they are. Uh, I think that's a big deal. We get caught up on my band played at this honor band, right, and these right. things, and I, like I, I'm seeing all those pictures posted now. And it's it's great. It we is great. Celebrate that, right. absolutely. But there's also like, hey, you know, we're we're moving into our our new band room now, and I see the same kids. Yeah. We say, hey, can any of you stay and help? Oh, it's the same, same kids, kids yeah. every time. Right. Oh gosh, that's so and good. I, I love them. Yeah, it's wonderful. You ever walk walk out into the band room and say, "Hey, can anybody put all the all the stands away?" Mm-hmm. And then just walk away mm-hmm. and and but you know the four kids who did yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it when the kids go into a very animalistic thing right there. We say, "Hey, can you guys do this?" And they're like, they freeze because they feel like if they don't move, <laughs> you won't be able to see them. Yeah, right. I'm like, yeah. I can still see they you. Lit- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like the, I, I am not a Tyrannosaurus. Right. Like, come on. <laughs> I, I see you standing there. I see you doing nothing. You just didn't want to help. And uh, you know, it's okay. We all have those days. We do. It can't be a pattern. It can't be a pattern. We all have and, those days. and sometimes it is hard to uh, because we we internalize that behavior. Sometimes being directors, you know, uh, I ask myself a lot of times, do I model that? When it's time to help, do they see me actually doing, you know, because if I'm going to yeah. require that from them, I want, I want them to see that I'm busy doing what I, I'm going to ask them to do too. 
I think modeling for them or, is really important. Or if yeah. your students came to a, like a faculty meeting, would, would they see you being <laughs> one of the 50% of the teachers oh. who are talking the whole time? Oh, you know what I'm saying? I just felt like I was in church. I look around low. at faculty meetings and I'm like, wait, you, you guys are all doing all the things you don't oh, want your students to do. Jeff, that just hit me like a pastor in church. Like, oh, I know it. <laughs> I know it. We, I'm, I'm, I, I'm sitting really still here. <laughs> that nobody That's a good one. Darn it, Jeff. Uh, so good. You're right. You're exactly right. It's, it's, it's what we do. Um, we're, we're creatures of habit we are. and whatever we keep doing, it, that's our experience. And that's, that's what we project to other people. And kids know yeah. they can smell it on you. They can, they can smell sincerity. They can, they really uh, can. They, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been in so many situations where I was like, this should not have worked. Yeah. I did not have the skills to get us through this, but I, I care <laughs> an awful lot. Conversely, there have been other things where I didn't project that care. Uh-huh. And I didn't project that sincerity. And I had way more skill than I had before, and it didn't work. Well, I think the yeah. first the first situation that you talked about is my normal operating mode. That should not have worked. <laughs> like I do not possess <laughs> I do not possess the skill set. But but you're right. I do I do care an awful lot. And I think I always tell kids, if anything, I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try really hard. I wanna model that for them. I'm just I'm gonna try real hard. Jarrell, to close this for our last question, what what's one thing that you wish you could go back and tell young Jarrell in his first few years of teaching, or what what piece of advice? Maybe a better question is what what advice would you give to young directors now, or any directors right now that may be struggling a little bit and don't quite know? You know, they're they're looking at real estate, mm-hmm. they're looking at day trading. Yeah. <laughs> I, what piece of advice would you what piece of advice would you give me? oh gosh okay I think the first thing I'll say because I, I've instead of just saying this to myself I say it to other young people is that number one authenticity is your superpower so just don't be afraid to be willing to be who you are because who you are is so unique and it's so needed and it's so necessary uh, because it's, it's the way that we're going to make the world work it's just people being authentic and being willing to work together um, I, I think there are three things. The second thing is not to be afraid to ask for help. I think I, I insulated myself so much because I didn't want people to think that I wasn't intelligent and that I, I could do it, you know? So because I was that way, I think I shielded myself from getting the help that I really needed. Do you know what I mean? Um, and, yeah. and uh, oh gosh. You said authenticity. It's a and then you said about asking for help. Oh, oh, this one's huge. It might be controversial, but this is not my self-worth. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yeah. You can interpret that well, one that- any way you like. Woo. <laughs> 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 yeah, so so thank you for joining us at First Baptist of Band. Yeah. And- <laughs> <laughs> Our, our our church of the eternal conductor or whatever it's therapy whatever I, I appreciate opportunity to talk therapy. to you guys yeah. it's been great we should do it Thanks again so much, yeah this is great Jarrell and uh to our audience guys thanks for listening and uh until next time i'm jeff young and i'm bobby lambert and this has been that band life <laughs>